You are listening to Sick Biz Buzz with me, Hillary Jastrom. Welcome to Sick Biz Buzz, the sickest podcast empowering chronically ill and disabled entrepreneurs and remote workers, and the only podcast of its kind. I'm your host, Hillary J. We'll take a moment of gratitude to sing the Good Men Project's praises before we get going. Thanks to their support, we are able to reach more people through our little podcast that can. And if you haven't yet, make sure you download our app on your phone. Simply text SICKBIZ to 36260 and all our resources will be delivered right to the palm of your hand. Our guest today is no stranger to adversity and overcoming odds. As a child, he was diagnosed with ADHD but he didn't believe what the doctors told him when it came to any presumed limitations. And as you know, we don't use the L word on this show anyway. Ryan Chapman is the owner and president at Nationwide Mortgage and Realty, among other businesses, a best-selling author of the heartwarming and sometimes heart-rending book, The Happy Ending, and father to two darling daughters. He has written the script for the life he wants to lead, and he follows it every day to get the most out of his time here on earth. If you are in need of releasing your truest and most powerful beliefs about yourself, hang around this guy. Please welcome my dear friend, Ryan Chapman. Ryan Chapman, oh my God. It's like we have to schedule a time to catch up via podcast. <laughs> that is pretty funny. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I appreciate your time today. Yeah, I appreciate yours. I know you're a busy guy. So we want to jump right into it and introduce you to everybody and the best way to do that I've found is to just give you the reins because after all, you are my co-host today. So introduce yourself to everybody. Just like when it, you know, when you were in fifth grade and the teacher was like, we have a new student today, everyone. This is Joey, Joey. And, and then Joey would stand up and be like, oh my God, I hate this so much. So we're going to do that to you today. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Hopefully I got more to say than I did in fifth grade, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let us know how you got from, we'll say, fifth grade to today. Oh, okay. Well, that that makes it easier. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Well, well, for me, uh, I don't know if it's, you know, sadly or happily, that fifth grade was about, oh, geez, Gosh, that was about 30 years ago. So thanks for that. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Anytime. Uh, it's awesome. The way I like to introduce myself is best-selling author. Thanks to you. Amen. Oh, <laughs> thanks to your help, girl. I like to say that all the time. Um, I describe myself as as an author, first and foremost. Um, I like to write. I enjoy the storytelling aspect of everything, right? If it's yeah. at a party or if I'm on Facebook, I really want to tell the whole story. So I enjoy the, the writing. Um and what it's done for me. Uh, I'm a mortgage expert for about 16 years now. Um, a little over 3,000 loans closed, so I've had a busy career. Um, and the writing for me personally has become my new calling card. Yes. So that's how I introduce myself. People say, what do you do for a living? I'm a best-selling author. I love it. Oh my goodness. That is just an astounding accomplishment. And, you know, when I got your book, 
I can tell right away that you were a writer. And there are there are natural aptitudes that people have for writing, and you definitely have it because you enjoy so much. Like you talked about the art of storytelling. And, and I just think that is so cool that you get to say that now. That's amazing. Yay! Yay. <laughs> and what do your girls think about that? Because you have two beautiful daughters. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Uh, 11 and 12. Uh, my 10-year-old, they, they love it, right? When, when they saw me through the journey of writing the book, um, they both have completed outlines for the, each book of their own. Um, mm -hmm. My youngest actually has written almost almost four. She has three completed outlines for a book series she wants to write. So she's physically wrote her outlines, started writing the book. You know, she's talking into her microphone. We're getting it transcribed. Like she's physically writing a book and she's 11 now. So I think it's been a very positive influence on them for sure. Okay. So this is really trippy because she's 11. And so she's probably in fifth grade. Correct. She's going in fifth grade. Um, like I said, she has three completed outlines for a book series, book one, two, and three. In the first book, she's maybe six chapters into it. So wow. it's exciting to see. And she's done that largely because she saw dad do it. Oh, 100%. You know, I'm doing a lot of marketing, helping mortgage guys, realtors, and things of that nature. And I've actually helped people write a book themselves, try to contribute my cheap two cents as far as the process is concerned. And um, you know, I helped Billy Alt with his outline. That, that was fun. So I, I think, again, I'm definitely teaching the children how to do it. They've heard me describe the process from front to finish. So they physically are following the steps that I did. Yeah, it's so important in terms of modeling. And there are some challenges in writing a book because and you talk about this in your book. You were diagnosed with a learning challenge but you decided that I don't really care. I'm going to do what I want to do. So I want to talk a little bit about the stigma of learning disabilities. And I hate that phrase. I hate the phrase learning disabilities because it assumes that we're subtracting from a whole. Instead of saying a person learns differently this way or writes a book differently this way or teaches differently this way or or retains information differently this way what do you think about that yes i think you you have a good point that we should separate the term learning disability from people that learn differently um for me it was just an extreme case of adhd i know everyone uses that as an excuse and a cop-out but i've been physically diagnosed with it you know 33 years ago uh, so they, it's been a challenge for me. It's been a challenge for me to focus um, in, that, in that chase, whatever thought enters my head, right? So the book was definitely a challenge. It, once I looked for your assistance, as we talked about, the book was an idea for almost 15 years. Mm -hmm. So it was a little here, a little there. And I had a lot of it written, um, actually. But after, you know, certainly speaking with you and we actually got the necessary steps. I mean, yeah, I was able to focus that energy, but, but yes, hundred, hundred percent. I agree. The term learning disability needs to be thrown out for sure. It's labeling us at a young age. And then, and then the worst part is we, we end up believing that and that's yeah. people down. We do. We do because we're told this is the truth. This is what you have. You are learning disabled. And in fact, I think it really is, the educational system 
that's failing children now because they can't get their arms around how to effectively teach children so that they retain information so they take what they have deemed to be the normal or routine way or standard way of educating. And it leaves so many kids out. And it and it just cuts them off from opportunities. I have a son who is a verifiable ADHD diagnosed. And I and I know what you mean about the difference. The difference comes out in like the physical manifestations in you know, you, you can tell it's a difference between like, I have a lot of energy and I just want to go here and there and here. It is literally in the way a person is conducting themselves. So I totally get what you're saying about that because not every person or kid who says, oh my God, I have such ADHD, a squirrel, blah, 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 that it is an actual diagnosis. And it's very different when you actually have received the diagnosis. Yes, yes, 100%. Um, it's funny, as a, ch- as a child, my, my leg would bounce, like you're bouncing your knee. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it now as I sit here, usually on the phone. Like we originally, you know, we started trying to do a phone for me, so I like to walk, right? Yeah. Uh, I've been saying for, geez, 30 years, motion creates emotion, right? I need to move mm-hmm. to create, so to channel that energy. So as a child, my, my leg would always, you know, again, it's doing it right now, as I mentioned it twice, I can see it. It's just <laughs> bouncing. Um, as I sit there. So yeah, there is a difference for sure. There Uh, is a difference. And you, so you made this a dream. You made become, becoming a best-selling author, an absolute dream. And, and you hit that goal. There are people listening today that are saying, I'm really overwhelmed, but I love writing or I'm very verbose and I can express myself really well, but maybe um, it's not as easy for me to get words down on paper. What would you recommend that they do? What helped you? Well, first and foremost, I would say it's therapeutic to write a book. Um, Mm -hmm. What helped me are certainly taking the necessary steps, which you know, the first and foremost, I would say, is if you can't sit down and write, you can grab a voice recorder. All of our phones today have them. And you can literally just hit record and start talking about a subject. Once you're done talking, that's a chapter. Mm-hmm. You can then send back, you know, to get transcribed. Usually it's very cheap, a dollar a minute, for example. Um, and you can have it back. That seemed to help me fill in the majority of the gaps. Now, I did sit down in front of a computer and physically type a lot of it. For me, that, that's part of the therapy of it, right? Mm-hmm. What helped me is doing the voice recorder and then finding an editor, such as, you know, they're lucky they'll find someone as good as yourself. Um, many times, you and I talked about that, that expanded my thought process is what it did. So, so if I can offer any advice, first and foremost, I'd say be prepared. It's going to be therapeutical. Mm-hmm. You feel a lot better after writing it um, or speaking it because that, that'd be my first tip is use a voice recorder. And the second tip, of course, is find a good editor or copy editor to kind of bounce the ideas off and expand your thought process. Yep, absolutely. And thank you for that. Um, it was it was such a pleasure for me to work with you because I could see this raw talent and it just needed some polishing, you know, and that is what we need to impart to people who are listening. Don't count yourself out if you have been diagnosed with a learning challenge or maybe you might have something like uh, dysgraphia. 
You may have a processing, uh, a different way. I don't want to say disorder. I just hate that word because it, it indicates that, oh, that's not normal. So maybe the way that you process things is different. My son, um, for him, getting words out of his head and through his hand and onto paper was challenging. However, he is the most articulate speaker you have ever heard in your life. So you want to look at what are your strengths before sitting down and writing a book, before really sitting down and tackling anything. How should I do this? And how is it easiest for me to do it? Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. It doesn't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about that. And we do. We talk about taking imperfect action. Because let me tell you what. And you, and you went through this. I see so many manuscripts come to me. And I'm telling you what. That you just have to get it out. It's not pretty. Man, it is ugly. Sometimes you're <laughs> sometimes the author looks at it. Yeah, and they're like, oh my gosh, how is this ever gonna become a book? But there are different exercises that you go through where you're going to extract that information. So you have managed to reinvent yourself as an author, but you've also reinvented yourself multiple times because you've been on top and then through circumstances. Then you found you had to rise to the top again. So what have you learned about yourself? And two-part question, what is the first step that you would advise someone to take when they're starting from scratch? Okay. Um, starting from scratch is pretty simple, I would say. Um, as you mentioned, I certainly had to do this multiple times in my life, Yeah, uh, more times than I care to admit, but... I, I feel better the older I get knowing that I can start over at any time and still reach the same level of success. And, and the advice I would give if you're just getting started is real simple. It's create a plan. Yeah. Especially with the ADD, I found a self-medicating tool. Is I write down three goals every single morning. And no matter what happens during the day, I'm, I meet those three goals. doesn't matter if I'm distracted. doesn't matter if I'm busy. The kids, no matter what happens, I make sure I hit my three goals. And after that, I write down three more, and, the, and, the, and it's just a perpetual cycle that never ends. I think that's how getting started, the, someone in the beginning thinks they have to, you know, slay this huge dragon, and really, no, they don't. They just got to beat a couple of iguanas on the way up the hill, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's a great analogy. It's like the book, right? My book is called The Happy Ending, Shameless Plug. Um, yeah. But if you read and just read the last chapter, there are no such thing as happy endings in life, right? Most good yeah. things come to an end anyway. But what, what we can have are the small victories, the, the, the individual happy endings. And that would be meeting your goals daily, right? Your three little goals. That's a happy ending. I made my goal happen. That's a happy ending. So if you're getting started, you've got to start stringing along these happy endings. Just one at a time. They'll add up to a story, but um, you have to write the book. So getting started is as simple as that. Get started, have a plan, and, and take your imperfect action to make it happen. And this makes sense too. We have so many coaches that are teaching processes. They say, this is the process that worked for me. I'm going to teach you how to do it. This is what my day looks like. This is what this looks like. Do this and you're going to have success. And you know what? We have to adapt to the different ways that people respond to learning. 
We absolutely have to do that. So if you're a person who's like, well, wow, I really want to write a book or I really want to start a business or I really want to, oh, I don't even know what a different example would be, but let's use those two. And you're thinking, but there's got to be 35 things on that list. I can't do 35 things. I don't know how to prioritize. I love what you talked about because you are making those goals bite-sized. And so instead of saying, well, I need to do 35 things today, you're looking and saying, well, I can do three. I can do three. And, and three is less than the number of fingers on your hand, unless you've had a tragic tractor accident or something like that. But it, <laughs> typically, <laughs> as I said that, I was like, oh, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> three is less, typically, than the number of fingers on your hand or your toes. You can use your toes, whatever. And the point is, it is not overwhelming. It is not like I have 28 things on my list today. This is one of them. That happens to be how I work. It's not a big surprise that I respond to like an outline learning form because that's what I do every single day is book outlines and whatever. So that works for me. Other people like to do the hard things first and get those out of the way. I do not like to do that. I'll make a list. And uh, I read something one time that said, don't put those little minutia things on your list that you can just do. Like if you have emails that you need to answer, for example, you don't need to write those down because they're already in a list form in your email, in your inbox. So you can just go there and knock out those little things and not put them on the list. But some people that doesn't work for them. Um, when my son was seeing an ADHD counselor, and this was fascinating because the counselor also had ADHD, which I thought was perfect. He talked to him about, you know, the different organizational skills that he could build up and the processes that he could use and things of that nature. So what you talk about, what I talk about, what somebody else talks about might not work for everybody. And that is absolutely okay. There's no shame in that. There's no, I'm different. And so I'm bad. There's no, I can't do this. It's simply finding how can you do it? What does your day look like? You know what? I'm doing this podcast in bed, brother. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I think you make a solid point there. You know, um, I actually do coach a lot or consult, I like to say, a lot of mortgage uh, loan officers and, and more realtors and starting to get more business owners. And where we have success, I think, is you have to reverse engineer your goals, right? So whether it's a number you want to hit or an accomplishment you're trying to make happen, you can reverse engineer that down to a daily action. Right. You, you can define the daily action so you know exactly what needs to happen every day, whether it's done at 530 in the morning or 530 night. It doesn't matter. You know that that has to happen just like the book. Right. Yeah. We can write a book in four to six weeks. If we did something every single day to make it happen. We can do it. So I think yeah. you're right. We all learn at our different paces. We all accomplish goals at different paces. We just have to define what the goals are and what daily actions are needed to hit the goal. And that's how it's easier to attain. It really is. It really is easier. 
And I, I want a, a word to parents and to people, even even kids who are in high school right now. High school is so difficult, so incredibly difficult. And we actually moved my son from a brick and mortar school to a virtual high school because sometimes you just have to look for these solutions that are outside of the box in order to accommodate yourself. And then the crazy thing is that as soon as you're out of this standard educational system, a lot of kids, and if you're listening and you're a kid and you're like, man, I hope this is true, I'm going to tell you it is true. College is totally different. You know, this higher education after high school, after middle school is completely different. You have professors who do not give a shit about how you complete an assignment. They just want it handed in. So take heart. You have to learn this way now for some reason. And it's not due to your failure. It's due to the system failure. So I just want to put that message out there. Give a little bit of hope for people. It's going to get better. Yes. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It's like it's a total flip, isn't it? Because when I was a kid, I was like, oh, my God, I, algebra hates me. It, algebra would be like the nightmare that is chasing me down the hallway. It hates my guts. So, but it doesn't have to be like that when you get older. And so this applies to, if we just have this indoctrination as children. If you don't fit into this box, too bad for you. Your life's going to suck. It's going to be really hard. And we bring these stigmas with us into adulthood. And this can make it very, very challenging to even get started on anything. I agree. 100%, right? Um, it's, it's, and I've heard it somewhere before, but just because you, you lose doesn't make you a loser, right? Yeah. And especially at a young age, we get it built in our, our heads that it's such a small world when we get older. I mean, now, personally, we want to learn. We, we know now that the yeah. algebra being your, your nemesis there was actually you learning algebra, right? Because we yes. don't learn without that struggle. So as a child, yeah, don't beat yourself up and think this is it. No way. It gets better. You'll get through it. I mean, you guys today, children have Google, right? We didn't have that when oh. we were in school. <laughs> <laughs> we had to go to the library, and we had to use those big card catalogs. Yeah, oh. I'm still oh. trying to remember. Or I'm still trying to learn how to use card indexing. Oh, my God. Whoever has learned that, I was like, first of all, I don't know who's alphabetizing this. Second of all, why are we sorting books by this genre? And then we had to go and uh, try and find a computer, too. Remember that? Oh, yeah. God. That no. was. <laughs> yeah, I think, again, you're right. Just don't get discouraged if you're young listening to this. It's, it will get easier for you. It will get easier. And so I want to make a switch now and talk about Monday. And you know what I'm talking about when I say the word Monday. <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> I I certainly like to talk about it a lot, talking about the moods we all have on Mondays. Yes, that's exactly right. So it's funny, right? Monday is just a day that ends in Y, um, mm -hmm. which they all do. I always say that joke, and some people are like, well, what do you mean? Well, they all end in Y. <laughs> I love it. What do you mean? 
the advantage of being an entrepreneur, I guess, and, and even if I was an employee, which I would if I guess the situation was perfect, but but I'm not. Um, I'd want that flexibility to know that every day is just the same. M- Mondays equal a little less than 15% of our life, 14 and some change, right? Yeah. Um, every day is equal to a portion of our life. Monday is 14% of our lives. So to have that woe is me mentality on Monday is horrible. Um, I appreciate you remembering that. I, I always talk about that. I, I wrote about it in the book. Yes. Every day is the same. There's like theme days in the world's attitudes. Mondays always suck, right? Case of the Mondays, which I've never heard or I might get angry, but <laughs> I've heard <laughs> of people saying that. Um, that the attitude on Mondays is really funny um, because it, it affects your whole week. You're starting on a sour note. So yes. you got to change your attitude that we have on Mondays. You know, it's not bad. Mondays are a great way to start over. For us in the mortgage business, Monday's like ketchup because this Saturday and Sunday, everyone's out getting busy. So it's hard to say Monday's the beginning of the week for us. There is no ending or beginning. You got to treat a Monday like it's a Friday, and I think the world will be a much better place. Of course, on Fridays, we don't do much work because it's Friday. So <laughs> hopefully you could find a middle ground there. But, but yeah, you get my point. I love to talk about each day being a certain percentage of your life. It's true. And it's also like we give so much power to Monday and everybody's like, well, I want to hate Monday too. I want to jump on this bandwagon to be a Monday hater because it makes me feel validated and it makes me feel better and it makes me feel not alone. And sometimes we shouldn't jump on bandwagons. Sometimes we should just let the bandwagon just roll right on down that dusty trail. Just let it leave the vicinity because we are encouraging each other to feel like shit together. Yep. Yep. It's like a pity party. Um, mm-hmm. I'm 100% on that. We don't need to be part of the herd all the time. I understand that sometimes running in a pack will help us survive, but the majority of the time when it comes to our emotions and our actions, it's really more of a be the sheep herder and not the sheep, in my opinion. You, you can't, especially if, again, you feel different or you have challenges to overcome, Mm-hmm. You can't associate yourself as being equal to everyone. We, we're we not all equal, right? I think that saying yeah. is horribly bad. I, and I always talk about that tall or short, right? I'm tall. Yes. People say I'm tall all the time. Well, maybe I'm not tall. Maybe I'm just average, right? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and the point I'm trying to make is so I'm tall. I can reach things on top shelves. I could paint at the top corners without a ladder. But a short <laughs> person probably can run a lot faster than me. You know, I don't know, I, because how tall are you? I'm 6'3", almost 6'4". Okay, you are exactly a foot taller than me. That's awesome. That's <laughs> I fun. know, it. it is but awesome. But here, no, and I don't mean to cut you off, but what, what I mean is we all have our own talents. And whether you're tall or short, we're, we're not created equally, so to stick out is a good thing. To be different is, is a great thing. It is. And to embrace what makes you different is yeah. a great thing, too. We yes. so, so many people are like, but I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be different. You know, our differences are our superpowers, I think. Yep. I couldn't agree more with you. I say that exploit your talents, whatever it is, exploit what you have because you have it for a reason. Yes. Yes. And so many people run away from that. But I'm not like this and I'm not like that. And we have this society of competition, especially as entrepreneurs, 
especially as, as being in the fields of business that we're in. Well, so-and-so is doing this. Well, so-and-so is doing that. I'm not doing that. So I'm not doing that. And I think there's 35 steps to do it at least. And so I'm not even going to get started. You know, this is when you can step out of that, when you can break out of that, you absolutely will find your greatest empowerment. I agree. 100%. Like you said, that's your superpower. It is. It is your superpower. So don't walk away from your superpower. What do you need? Do you want us to send you a cape? (laughs) What do you need? Do you want an invisible jet? What do we got going on here? Let's get to the bottom of it. Um, So let's get real. Er. We've been getting pretty real. Let's get even real. Er. What's the worst decision you've ever made? I'll tell you what mine is. If you, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a tough one. Um, and again, I don't know if it's in my strength or weakness, but some of the worst decisions I've made, um, I would instantly say were business decisions. But honestly, when you say that now and I think about it, I, I think the worst decision I made was taking myself out of the game in school. Um, I was drugged in school for my ADHD. Back then it was Ritalin, um, which is really bad. It creates like a zombie-like feel. So I think the worst decision I've made personally, <clears throat> taking away the business ones, because I have some business decisions that have cost me, geez, hundreds of thousands of dollars in a 12-month period. So I have some bad ones there. Mm-hmm. But being 40, which I am 40 now, I think the worst decision I made was at a young age to accept that I was weaker than others, to accept that I was going to fail in my education process. Um, I wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer as a kid. I had always scored well in my tests. I like to think I have a higher IQ, but I just couldn't exert the energy with school. So I took myself out of the game of life at a young age. Um, Luckily for me, outside of college, I had some instant success going back to 2002 in the mortgage business. So that helped my confidence. But there was, you know, 10 years of my life there where I always assumed I would settle for a life that I didn't deserve, a life of being average, um, you know, just punching a clock kind of guy. And I think it's because of my decisions in school to give up. It was easier to just accept the fact that I was going to have an F going into the finals and I needed to get an A in the final to pass the class. And that's what I did. It was no problem. Yeah. Um, It was I think that is my worst choice, being a 40-year-old man and the struggles I have and seeing my path of the last 20 years of being successful, then being a failure, then having success, then being a failure and being back successful. I feel like at a young age, if I would have exerted the energy I do today, well, I'd have you know two or three master's degrees. I'd have a little more stability, most likely never have the failures, experience the failures I have. In business and in life and my marriage and all the things I failed at, I think all go back to my original decision to accept failure at a young age. Nowadays, I don't accept failure. I fail, so what? I'm not a loser. I lost. I get up. I shoot again. Yeah. It's not hard. But as a kid, I didn't have that ability, and I, I accepted defeat. So that's my biggest weakness, my biggest failure in life. I think that is an amazing story. And even if you did have all those master's degrees and you had followed through in that way or whatever, taken that direction, you would not be emotionally the person that you are today because you wouldn't know 
all of the knowledge that you've gained from going through what you've learned. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. You only grow from failing, right? So I can see that I might not have been the same person. Um, for sure. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, like what if you weren't humble? What if right now you were just like a super big asshole? You know, like <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, oh my God, this guy. Come on. But yeah, I, I would have been less of a person if I had not have had all the failures. I mean, my children, the experience I've had with even failing in divorce, yeah. you know, being divorced and failing in marriage made me a better father. As horrible as that sounds, because I don't believe in divorce. Um, you know, I have feelings for my ex-wife, who's a great mother of her being the mother of my children. There's feelings there. Um, and I know that when I had the success at a young age and I never had failure for geez, seven, eight years in a row, that I was arrogant. I was cocky. I they treated her poorly. I treated the kids differently. My life was different. I drank a lot more. I did more drugs, right? So when I had those failures, it proved to teach me that, hey, you can't party like this all the time. You can't blow 10 grand here. You can't spend this kind of money there. You can't treat people the way you do. So yeah, you make a valid point that the failures and the struggles helped me become the person I am today. Yeah. Absolutely. And I tell myself the same thing. My worst decision, <clears throat> and we could talk about, like you said, business decisions all day, but because I think even in the average business day, it's like, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. How is this going to turn out? Not really sure. All right, here we go. And um, so I think those are more obvious choices, but I will tell you my worst decision I made for decades upon decades upon decades was seeking other people's approval. And it was just completely at odds with what <clears throat> the frog in my throat needed, with what, <laughs> <laughs> with what I needed as a person. As a person, I was just seeking this validation and this acceptance, and I never was getting it because I did not build my own list of what I needed to hit to feel good about myself. I was always looking at other people's paper. I was like the, I was like the cheat in school. Oh, what are you doing over there? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's what I'll do. You know, and I didn't build my own list. And until I started doing that, and that didn't happen until I got sick and I finally said, wow, I'm so tired of constant bullshit. <laughs> and you just have to get to that point with yourself saying, I'm creating the bullshit and I'm seeking the bullshit and I'm not happy and I wonder why. So the second that I stopped and I said, I don't really care what people think about me. You can think I'm a bitch. You can think I have resting bitch face. I don't, I don't care. That was the worst decision I made for decades. That's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome yeah. you learned it, what, your, you know, what, the, what the issue was. That's for sure. You have to get comfortable in your own skin. I think when you get to 40, because I am five, almost six years older than you. And so thanks for that. Um, but <laughs> 40, right? 40s, aren't they the, the greatest though? Because you literally do not care. Yes. Uh, all out of, yep, don't care anymore for sure. I know. And everything you worried about when you were like late 20-ish. Oh, there was so much stress. What are we going to do? Who are we? 
where now we're like, this is who we are. And if you don't like it, I don't have time for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent. Maybe it's a time of ticking thing. I'm not sure, but I agree. I, I think we all found what your biggest problem or issue was. I think everyone does that. Um, myself included. We all are too concerned about what others think of us. Yeah. And that's why we think it needs to be perfect. When in fact, it's never perfect, right? Michael Jordan missed 300 times at the end of the game. Um, he missed 300 game-winning shots, right? So it's yeah. it's easy to see um, how we all fall in that trap. So now, has he failed more than he's succeeded? Uh, I don't. I would say yeah. I, I mm -hmm. think so. Um, he might be an extreme case because he had so many successes, but. He, every time he missed, he shot again. I don't know how many game winners he's hit, but I know he missed 330 of them. So I think he has failed more times than he succeeded, for sure. It, do you think that's true of everybody's journey, that you're going to fail more than you succeed? Like if we, if we made a list and said, okay, I'm going to list all the failures in my life and I'm going to list all the successes, how long do you think each of those lists would be? I, I think 100% that you fail more than you succeed. Yeah. I think that's what gives us the success. Amen. Uh, yeah. It has to be, it has to be a hard one. So let me ask you as a father, are you on board with everybody winning or do you think kids should, we should keep score and kids should learn about trying harder, et cetera? Where are you on that? Well, I love this uh, topic. I'm a coach for the youth basketball. I'm actually on the committee here in town. Nice. Uh, so I, I, I love this. Um, my children have been playing basketball going on five years. So they've been playing since kindergarten, first grade. Wow. Uh, yep. They love it. They're, they, we hope they get better. Um, my ex-wife was a, was a basketball player, so she's pushing them hard, um, but they love it. Um, but here's my point in kindergarten, they shot on 10 foot rim. Mm -hmm. My daughter couldn't hit the 10 foot rim. Um, for years, she's been the point guard or the leader on the court, my oldest, and she literally can't hit the rim So from the free throw line. So what the other teams would do, since she was scoring all the points with hitting every layup, they would just foul her and put her to the free throw line because they knew she couldn't shoot that far. Oh. So, so I'm a firm believer in losing and yeah. there's no participation trophies. Um, I think before... My children were born. I'd say everyone gets a trophy. That's cool. But now my opinions have changed of that because we have to have losers in order to have winners. And we have yeah. to have losses in order to have wins, right? We got to learn what we did wrong. So we need we need the, the losers. Sadly, this year, I've made the championship three years in a row. We lost this year. Oh. We lost early. We were fourth out of four teams. Okay. Um, but when they gave us that little uh, tiny, tiny participation medal uh and everyone else got trophies i told the girls like we we, we earned this we lost next year we'll do better so, yeah. so you have to have winners and losers the, the fifth place ribbon is, is is garbage i believe and not needed we don't need ribbons for fifth place we need to show people that you work hard and you can win right um, because you know, oh go ahead i'm sorry i, I just, just got say, I, since that loss for example my two daughters Right. That was our season ended a few months ago. Um, they, they're actually on different teams now, but they shoot 200 free throws every single day. Every wow. single day. These kids are 11 and 12. They shoot 200 free throws a day, over a thousand a week. And that's because they don't want to ever lose any again. 
Wow. And so if they had gotten, if everybody had gotten participation trophies, been like, yay, all right, you showed up. Like this, this is what we've devolved into. You showed up, you did yeah. the absolute minimum. And so you're on a level with other people who may want things more. They might, like your girls, they might really want to succeed in basketball. And there might be somebody else who's playing who doesn't care. So great. Then learn that about yourself. Show up. And this is what I tell my kids too. I'm like, when you go to college, if that's what you decide to do or whatever you decide to do with your life, try it. If you don't like it, then move on. That's it. And, but you don't have to just kind of be in it like, oh, this is good enough. You know, I'm average. It's good enough. If you're like that as a person and you want to, um, you know, maybe maybe you feel like you're looking for the moment and the present more than and that's more important to you than reaching a business goal or reaching a sports goal, whatever it is, it's all about being authentic to yourself. And so I think it robs the kids who really, really want to be outstanding in those sports. And I have to ask, can you hear the vacuum cleaner going upstairs? <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. Okay. That is my daughter. And so I'm not saying a word because if my child wants to grab the vacuum cleaner, <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to stop her. So that was a totally real discussion with you on that. And I think a lot of parents are afraid to hold their hands up and say, I don't like these participation trophies or medals or whatever they're handing out. Yeah, no, 100%. It's got to be a discussion you got to have with your children. Um, if they all were to get the same participation trophy, then there's no off season. And if there's no one working in the off season, no one's going to improve. Yeah. And what you said is a great, great point. You know, it's hard as a parent to push your child, especially when we're trying to push to success after failure. If you're not interested, move on. You don't have to be the jack of all trades guy because then yeah. you're the master of none, right? Find what you're into. Maybe you're going to be, you know, a tattoo artist. So what? There's many tattoo artists that are happy in life and that yes. are excited about and passionate about what they do. So you just have to find what you're you know, into and where you have the passion for. That's that's hard for parents to not push our passions onto our children, but that's something we have to do. It, it is hard because I have invited every single one of my children into my marketing business and they were like, nope. <laughs> and I was like, come on. <laughs> It'd be so easy to work together. I know. Exactly. And I want to teach you. And they're like, no, that's not me. Great. That's fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but they have to people and that and that I think is a fabulous loop back to the happy ending. It's making your own happy ending through those decisions every single day. That's it. We we all have one thing, you know, or a few things I guess that no one ever can take away from us our right to the free will. We can have our own choice in the way we think and perceive a situation to be, right? No one can control our emotions. Um I think I try to teach that to my children that don't let anyone affect the way you feel. That's yes, ab absolutely. Absolutely. And you have a right to your feelings. That's you, right. can, you can feel any way you want to. One thing I teach my kids too, I swear to God, she's moving furniture. I swear to God. I don't know what. Going. 
That's being oh. thorough. <laughs> that is really thorough. <laughs> Oh, my God. Before I got sick, I was insane, though. I was a single mom for a while, and I would, you know, get dinner on and help my kids with their homework. I would stay up until midnight every single night cleaning the house. Wow. Yeah. So maybe that wrapped up. Now she she wants a clean house. Now she does. It's very. Yeah, exactly. And and so I say hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy it while it lasts. Yes, exactly. Because it could be gone. Any second. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One last question. And this is the last question that I ask everybody. And that is one thing people don't know about you is. Oh, wow. One thing people don't know about me. I'm I'm a fairly open book. Um, Let me think about that. Um, I tell everyone I cook. Um, Oh, yeah. I'm a big cook. Uh, one thing people don't know about me, um, I was on the golf team for four years in high school. Wow. Were you really? Were you good? Uh, no, I was never great. Uh, I always enjoyed it, though. Um, but that, I think, is something that no one knows about me. I was on the golf team, or I like to run a lot. I can run. I've never run a marathon, but I ran 17 miles before, and I just stopped just because um, I usually can. I ran 130 miles in 30 days before, so I can run a lot. Wow, that's amazing. So did you feel like Forrest Gump? You were like, one day I just started running. <laughs> yeah, that's my attempt to deal with my stress and insomnia. I started running going back about, geez, 10, 15 years ago. Um, yeah, and I soon discovered that I could just keep running. <laughs> yeah, running. <laughs> I love that movie. That movie is timeless. Anytime it's on, I'm like, I don't actively seek it out, but anytime it's on... I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm watching this the entire time. And one day I decided I was just done. And this is my daughter coming down here to say hello after cleaning the house. We've been talking all morning. Say hi to my daughter, Ryan. Hi, daughter. No, it's Ryan Chapman. He's one of my authors. You're on a podcast, Lauren. Say hello. (laughs) Hey, Lauren. Good job on the cleaning. Good job on the cleaning, he said. Thank you. Well, that is amazing. Um, I tried to get into golf and uh, I wanted to like it because it seemed like a sedentary kind of a sport, but um, it actually is a little bit more athletic than people would believe. Oh, yeah. Put a half inch ball in a two inch hole a half mile away in four shots. It's not easy. No. And you have to align your body like you have to even if you get the sweet spot, then it's like, OK, I got to find that sweet spot again. I was um, before I got sick, I was able to drive that sucker, though. I really loved doing it. I sucked at putting. Absolutely. Like there was some kind of spatial relationship thing that I could not make friends with. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a mental game. It's hard, especially with ADD. Like you said, it's not a not like a hitting a button and you get a shot so you can have the perfect shot and then you have to do it again and that's that's the challenge that's the, for everyone that's the challenge it is the challenge well this has been no challenge having you on the show today i have greatly enjoyed having you on since we worked together what was it over a year ago i yeah, haven't i feel like is it a year in September? I yep. feel like we haven't had the time to sit down and, and truly catch up with each other. So I'm so glad you made the time today, Ryan. Thank you. It's been truly, like I said, my uh, privilege to be here with you and talk with you is always fun. Yeah, absolutely. 
hopefully uh, we can help a few people, like you said, that may have a, a disability. Maybe it's just ADD. Maybe it's something you know that's deemed stronger, but they can get past their their hurdle, just like the rest of us have. It's true because when we share these stories of triumph, and then people start applying that to their own life, and they say, you know what, though, that's me. That's yep. me. I'm I'm Ryan. 15 years ago and I feel lost and I feel like I don't have any processes or, or I can't lock on to a specific way of learning that makes sense. If that is you today, take heart. Ryan Chapman is a best-selling author now. Yes. He is the owner and president of a company that, that you're running with employees that you're you're making a living you're raising your children this can be you yes ma'am well said you got to do my intros from now on i got to bring you along wherever i go oh yeah just put me in the suitcase i'm small i'm a foot shorter than you so that works (laughs) oh thank you so Uh, much my friend every single one of us is dealing with something It may be visible, invisible. It may be a mental health diagnosis, a physical disease or disorder. I hate that word. We'll just keep it to disease. It may be a disability you are learning to live with. The point is that we are all contending with different challenges that affect every human being. We look at these realities from a scarcity mindset. They are identified as being a minus as if we have lost something. But sometimes, most times, this is what defines our superpower. Our differences and our varying states also connect us to each other and encourage us to treat each other with more empathy and compassion. We also discover the best processes to learn through when we join together. Ryan Chapman has forged ahead knowing he can do anything despite what he may have heard or even believed when he was younger. As he proved to himself his ability to hit his goals, he just kept going. If you would like to get in touch with Ryan, please reach out to him at ryan at sotarkmarketing.com. Ryan at s-o-t-a-r-k marketing. Did you like what you heard? Please listen, subscribe, share, and leave a review for Sick Biz Buzz wherever podcasts are available. Reviews like yours give our show a boost and get our content into more ears all over the place. We want to thank the Good Men Project again for having our back, and we want to thank you for listening. That's it for this week's episode of Sick Biz Buzz. Thanks so much for joining us. Be well.